hello, and welcome to Tavit and Yusef's Video Game Hour. I'm Tavit. And I'm Yusef. And uh, we're going to be discussing the Talos Principle a little bit later in this episode. But I guess first, just a little intro. I've been working uh, in and around the video games industry for eight years now, uh, mainly at Atari, but also at Killscreen Magazine. I'm Yusef, and I uh, am approaching it more from a critical fan point of view. I, I work in advertising. Um, so Yusef, maybe we should start with uh, what you've been playing recently? The game I just finished playing was Grow Home. Oh, nice. Uh, which is, it just came out. Uh, it's by Reflections, which is a Ubisoft studio. Apparently they did uh, Driver San Francisco, I think. Yeah, they yeah. were a part of some other team. Yeah, Driver Team. Mm. And I think that, I mean, this is Ubi, right? Like, yeah. 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 Ubi's yeah, yeah. been doing this really so interesting it's the thing. tentacles of Ubi. Yeah, totally. And, and I would yeah. put it tentacles because they have this, they're so big yeah. um, from a development standpoint that they actually, they've bought many, many studios mm. over, the, over the years of growing. And I think this one was this interesting thing where they had this team working on a movement mechanic for another game, maybe the Assassin's Creed games or mm. something, but they found the demo, uh, which became Grow Home, so interesting that they decided to split it off and early access it or whatever. Yeah, actually, I think it's just a standalone thing, yeah. as far as I can tell. I don't think it's... Uh, maybe it's early access. But either way, it feels oh, like Oh, it's a, done. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, yeah it feels like a complete game, yeah. Cool. I think it, it, it is. Um, essentially, the game uh, has you playing as a little robot called Bud, uh, B-U-D stands for something. I don't remember what it stands for, but it's all like cute, Biological like, yeah, something it's or other. cute like kind of comics-y sci-fi humor. And you are, feels a lot like Pikmin where you're sent to this planet to find this seed that will save your home planet. So you kind of start in this ship and you get kind of launched down into the surface of the planet and you find a plant that you have to grow into the sky. Essentially, you can control the way it grows. You have to jump on its buds and ride them into like nearby floating rocks that have energy in them and nice. the energy can then it feels like it's been it's been compared a lot to like a n64 kind of style game where it's like the mechanic is very simple and and has like a, a simple but really fun gameplay loop mm-hmm. which is essentially yeah just jumping around growing and i think the charm of this game is definitely the the movement mechanics being able to you have two arms that then like lock onto any surface that they're near using the left and right triggers and you kind of like latch yourself onto surfaces and you, everything's based on physics animations which gives it a really cool rickety feel like your guy is constantly stumbling here and there and it feels very natural there's always a lot of near falls and near drops where you're kind of on the edge and you grasp on with your hand and like hang onto the edge with one hand and you're like dangling off of it and like because it's all physics based it feels really natural nice like, but it, it, and it doesn't get frustrating where you kind of like as weird as it feels that they manage to keep it natural which I think is a pretty big accomplishment for that kind of movement, uh, movement mechanic because a lot totally. of times like physics based movement mechanics can be really awkward yeah it actually it's funny because when you describe it it actually sounds like two other games that I've played and really enjoyed it sounds a lot like the sort of climbing mechanics of GURP if you mm-hmm. ever played GURP it's the same it's Ben yeah, Fadi the guy who did Quop, which is this really awesome running simulator but like really wacky browser based game where each the Q, W, O and P keys control the ankle and knee joints of a runner on both legs respectively and you're trying to like make the guy run but he just inevitably falls over and over and over again so GURP was the follow up with the G, I, R and P keys where you're a climber and the G, I, R, P keys correspond to your left hand, right hand left foot, right foot as you sort of scurry up this mountainside trying to climb up right, like footholds and stuff like that so it reminds me of that mechanic And actually, weirdly enough, it also, and I don't know why none of the reviews have sort of made this comparison either, maybe it was just an underplayed game, but this wonderful game that I loved um, on the PS3 called Eden by Pixel Junk Studios. So Pixel Junk made a whole bunch of really cool games like Shooter, and uh, there was a couple of other ones too. Eden was actually, weirdly enough, my favorite. You play this little, like, algae-looking thing, Mm -hmm. and it's a two-dimensional platformer, again, where the entire mechanic is about growing these, like, plants to use them to essentially bungee swing off of to get to higher and Mm. higher platforms. So in that way, yeah, in that way, it just sort of felt like that. And, And Eden was definitely one of my favorite indie games of the last year. I mean, it's sort of augmented indie. Like yeah, indie, yeah. but much loved by first-party like first indie, indie yeah. basically. But I guess this sort of sounds <laughs> like a first-party yeah, indie I mean, as well. Yeah, course, it's like Ubisoft, Ubisoft brings you yeah. an indie game. Yeah, um, I got into an interesting Twitter discussion about it where um, the Austin Walker had written a review of it. And it was basically asking whether it would have been this popular if it didn't have Ubisoft behind ah. it. Like, if they didn't have Ubisoft's kind of PR machine and, like, and also, like, back-end like software machine they have all sorts of like time to develop stuff R&D sure. work so yeah it's like money <laughs> lots of money, money to make lots games of money. and it was on the flip side though like they didn't really 
advertise it that much at all. Like it, they kind of. Oh, I didn't hear about it at all until yeah, it was out. I, I found out about it through like let's plays. Like somebody right. was playing, and I was like, oh my god, it looks cool. Like, and it was kind of like felt like a more traditional like indie reveal uh, process where like a game comes out, you don't really hear about it, and then you see some people playing it, and then it kind of picks up momentum, word of mouth, and like eventually a lot of people just start playing it. Like sure. kind of Surgeon Simulator was like that, the Goat game. Like uh, oh yeah, Goat yeah, Simulator. Goat yeah, totally. Like, and, while not a great game, it, it like picked up a lot of momentum just from word of mouth and YouTube and online stuff, rather than like getting you know seeing it in the Steam page or seeing it like kind of get tweeted about by company PR. Yeah, so, and I, I think it might actually have more, something to do, not more to do, but something to do with the state of the industry right now. Like it's just this really interesting time, I think, for publishers that are coming from the old school way of doing things. And this is a, an argument that's been made about film. This is an argument that's been made about the music industry as well. Where like, oh, the power of the internet is this great disruptor and it's like interrupting all of the old modes of business that we knew and how to publish and how to market games. And it, to a certain extent, it's actually kind of true. We have this issue where you can throw a bunch of money at your tentpole titles, like your for Ubisoft, uh, Assassin's Creed or whatever. Those things make a predictable amount of money every time you make them, so you spend a predictably large amount of money making them, right? Mm. Whether or not they review well in the case of the latest Assassin's Creed game, it'll still sell. Yeah. But then you have this problem where you've got so many test cases or, or examples of successes coming from zero budgets or comparatively zero budgets. So the indies are out there and you have games like Rust or you have games like, you know, whatever. So many examples of things that just appear on Steam, whether early access or a commercial game, and just get that zeitgeist moment where yeah. enough people are talking about them that they punch through the noise. But I think it might weirdly be more indicative of the size of the marketplace now than the, the sort of quality or value of the game i think mm. ubisofts and all these different big companies of the world don't exactly know a predictable or stable way of bringing products like this to the market because you know you have a game that's like selling for how, how much did it sell for um, gone home was it less than 10 bucks or something home? like that um yeah it was around oh. 10 bucks i think yeah, yeah. so somewhere around 10 bucks yeah. it's like at that price point there's certainly a profit to be made yeah. um but how do you position a game in a very very stuffy marketplace like where yeah. there's just thousands of these games every day popping. And for the way it sounds like, you know, they already had the mechanics set up and it sounded like he might have R&D for other stuff, like you said. <laughs> so maybe Ubisoft was just like, you know, you know, sell it and see what yeah, happens. Let's like, see what you happens. know, it's, there's no really like very little overhead for them. Like they don't, they didn't advertise it. Yeah, once it's like, made. They're just like, okay, sure. Put our name on it. That looks good. And then like, if it fails, who cares? Like if it succeeds, like yeah. great. Yeah, we so got something very, out of yeah, it. Yeah, there's like very little like danger for Ubisoft in this end. They're not putting their neck out for this. Sure, that's a good, so, yeah, good point. Good point. It's already done why not just toss it out there yeah which, so i'm happy happy about that because it means that we get to see these like awesome experimental games that are like just real like i mean i was really happy that it came out because it's refreshing to play a game that's not about killing things yeah great. <laughs> and, great and it has like a challenge and a danger without being about killing things like because the environment is the danger like the the danger of falling off the edge is the danger like the danger of like not getting to where you need to go and then it creates a very like satisfying uh feedback loop and do really cool things like halfway through the game i saw a duck just sitting on a leaf nice and it was like such a important impressive like scene because i was just reaching up like grasping over the edge of a leaf and i like peek my head over and there's a duck like, a staring duck. me directly in the face it's like the low <laughs> low budget version of the giraffe moment in yeah Last it of was us. you're exactly just like yo that. this duck is beautiful like, man we just put this duck in there and then that is important that's impressive to you like and then it is because it's in the context of what you're doing and the duck is just like thousand feet in the air and he's just chilling and he's like what are you doing like look at you trying to climb this thing like i just flew here oh man top like, totally 20 chill. top yeah. 20 publishers please take note yeah release show us your r&d man yeah. Just show us your R&D. Absolutely. We would appreciate it. That's cool, man. I've uh, I've kind of been on the other end of that exact spectrum. I am playing a gigantic game, Monster Hunter 4, for the 3DS, and I'm just about 10, 11 hours in. And I actually came to the franchise pretty late in the game. I only started playing Monster Hunter on the last installment, mm -hmm. uh, North American installment, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, and I loved it. Spilled over 100 hours into there and really, really loved the mechanics, and I'm really enjoying my time in 4 uh, Ultimate thus far. Mm. It's still early hours, and it's a game that actually takes 
well beyond 20 hours to even reach the main course, the mm -hmm. beginning of the main course mm -hmm. of the game. It's still in the hors Oh my gosh, yeah, it's still the, the amuse-bouche, for sure, <laughs> yeah. No, and it's, it's like, the monsters are actually near my size, near my mm -hmm. near my player character size, mm -hmm. and eventually, and that's just one indicator of a monster's strength, but eventually the monsters get gigantic, and their movesets become yeah. incredibly detailed, and... So knowing nothing about Monster Hunter, uh, like, what is the hook of that game? Like, what is it all about? Imagine a game where you are stuck in an almost endless cycle of boss battles. And I mean boss battles in a sort of Mega Man or SNES era, where bosses were defined by their attack and defense patterns. Mm -hmm. um, so bosses will have their organizations of class, i.e. this one's a fire monster, this one's a water monster, this one's an air monster, whatever. But the care and the love that goes into the creation of the sort of rogues gallery of the game, of the monsters that you have to fight throughout Monster Hunter, are really the stars of the show. You are a hunter. Uh, you have, instead of a class system for the hunters, you have like I think 12 to 14 different class of weapons and your weapons will change your hunter's uh, attack animations. So each weapon has unique attack animations and unique mechanics that sort of define them. So I'm using one of the new weapons, the Insect Glaive, that's like premiered in this uh, recent game. And it's it's totally different from any of the other weapons. Not only in attack speed or movement speed or, or strength, but in the ways that it powers up. Or how do you learn about the weapon? Like how does it kind of teach you this like, is how it works? One of the most notorious things about Monster Hunter as a series is how impenetrable it is. Mm -hmm. So uh, the game does a pretty poor job of actually educating you about the game, mm -hmm. but this is one of those weird things, I think, that has become a, a feature of certain types of games now, like Dark Souls, for example. Yeah, I keep thinking about Dark Souls yeah, when you're telling me about really, this game. <laughs> yeah, it's totally, it has that similar feeling, but unlike Dark Souls, where the environment is one of the major stars of the show and sort of worming your way through the apple of, mm -hmm. of the, the entire Dark Souls map mm -hmm. is like one of the features of the game. In this game, it's like there's five or six major areas to hunt in, and each of those are split up into like nine to 11, like, sub arenas that are all interconnected it's like that's not, not free roaming but it's like free area game where like you know from the meta map where you can go overall and the monster's going to be somewhere in these 11 screens you got to find mm -hmm. them but in kind of like dark souls like it's almost like the less they tell us mm -hmm. as the player base the more incensed we are with like getting out there on youtube or mm -hmm. on like faqs or or walkthrough docs or forums yeah. yeah and like the game has been out in japan for almost a year now mm -hmm. and the, the whole walkthrough culture exists on its own even without monster hunter but monster hunter just like dark souls is this thing that like I'm learning the most about it not from the in-game tutorials which are very sparse but mm -hmm. jumping on YouTube for like 15 to 20 minutes at a time and checking out tutorials for different weapon mm. sets so you know if you're a first time monster hunter it's yeah. going to be difficult going at first sure. but it's totally worth your time because if you can punch through that 15 to 20 hour mark you've got another 150 hours of incredible like I've been playing Monster Hunter 3 for over a year to mm -hmm. get me up to this release it's one of those games where it's never really my it's my main game for like the first 40 hours and then it becomes this wonderful thing that I can just go back to yeah. for like 10 hours at a time and fill gaps between other major releases of games. And you always feel like you're learning something new. Oh yeah, and the cool thing is once you think you've seen all the monsters, Capcom does this incredible job of not only hiding variants of the monsters you know, but like hiding these like really crazy tentpole monsters that don't appear until like not even kidding around like 80 to 100 hours into the game. They so. kind of expect that you're going to be spending that much time with it. Yeah. That they can make it really deep. The thing that yeah. I would worry about is having to grind in terms of like having to like a lot of Japanese RPGs will sure. kind of have that built in and it doesn't sound like that happens too much well, there, there's a grind there's a grind mm -hmm. but I think the thing is within the within the conceit of the game the whole thing breaks down into these centralized hunts if you don't like the mechanic of running around in a 3D environment and hunting these monsters with precision like yeah. hitboxes and you know fight animations it's like playing Street Fighter against a giant monster basically mm -hmm. in 3D not in 2D though that's the grind because mm -hmm. you're basically carving bits of the monster off after mm -hmm. you kill it. All of the equipment, all of the gear, all of the weapons that you create come from monster parts. Yeah. So there is a grind, but the so grind is the central special gameplay. armor, you want to have to kill like the monster that then are part of it. Exactly. You're exactly. Getting, yeah, okay. And for me, I've never been a huge fan of turn-based battles, mm -hmm. so that's why I've, I'm not able to get through the grindier JRPGs out there. But this is an action RPG. I also feel like a lot of the grindier RPGs will have you kill mobs that are not important so that you can then get enough XP and level and experience to then kill the boss. And this is actually, you're fighting bosses to grind and then 
each boss fight is a little bit different. Exactly. And you have to kind of learn their moves. Exactly. That doesn't sound nearly as grindy to me. Yeah, it's it, exactly. If you get into the core gameplay, that's all the game really offers you. And honestly, like at 40 bucks or whatever you can find it for the 3DS, like as a current gen game, it's one of the best value propositions out there. Dollar to hour. Sure, yeah. If you yeah. dig. If you dig boss battles. <laughs> and if not, stay well away yeah. from this thing because that's all there is to it. It's not the kind of game where you're going through a story and the gameplay is kind of a way to keep you busy as you're exactly the grind is yeah. not stopping you from experiencing some critical yeah. path the, the story itself is it seems more like flavor than it is a kind of driving force absolutely that sounds great yeah it sounds exactly like dark souls right? <laughs> yeah, it does. it's dark souls without the map though it's, it's yeah. imagine it's yeah, dark yeah, souls yeah. like yeah. where all the encounters are happening in nine or so main environments and you, you know though you end up learning those hunting grounds like the back of your hand which becomes yeah really instrumental to your success because the monsters will like run away from you you gotta track them mm -hmm. it's it's small scale but it's like really I do like the idea that, amazing because in Dark Souls you, you know where the boss is going to be every time I like the idea of being able to tra traverse the environment and chase them around yep. Shadow of Mortar had that a little bit where like you oh, would I play that game so bad I really sometimes you fight a boss and then he gets away there's a lot of that going mm -hmm. on where you'll wound the boss and then they'll be like peace and yep. they just kind of start running you have to try and chase them down but you can't necessarily they'll be, they'll, their minions will fight you and you have to get in a fight with them and then like, by the time you're finished fighting them the boss is gone and you're like shoot that will actually happen again. <laughs> yeah that will actually happen in, in Monster yeah, Hunter well. maybe they played Monster Hunter you know? like, <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah who knows Monster. it's always fun to think about like what influenced the game designer like when they're making their stuff because there's always things that call back to it totally so that's what we've been playing, uh, and I think maybe we should turn it over to the star of today's episode. Yes, the Talos Principle. Talos Principle. By Crow Team. They are a Croatian team based, on, uh, based out of Zagreb, and they are famous for Serious Sam. Which is not that serious of a game, actually, hilariously enough. Ironically. Yeah, it's like the twitchiest Twitch shooter of all time. Really, really it, fantastic. It is probably game. the un most unserious shooter that you can make. It's basically if somebody took Doom and made a comedy out of it. Yeah, which is already so hilariously over the top. Yeah, and I just wanted to say, uh, you know, make sure that anybody who wants to play the game and not be spoiled probably shouldn't listen to this because we're going to spoil the hell out of it. Yeah, and actually that probably is a good rule in general with the way we've been doing the cast. During the video game hour, we tend to go into subjects having played the entire game, and we, we're not talking about reviewing the games in a very commercial sense. These are games that have been out at least for a little while. So, Absolutely. yeah, if you, if you don't like spoilers, definitely turn the podcast off right now. <laughs> we, usually, we usually try and list the games that we talk about in the iTunes description. Yeah. So you should have a good warning. So um, let's let's, uh, let's spoil the Talos Principle, huh? Let. <laughs> what did you think of the Talos Principle? Big picture. Did you enjoy playing the game? Big picture, I enjoyed playing the game, for sure. It was essentially, I mean, just to describe the game, it's a puzzle game, first and foremost, first person puzzle game, where you control a humanoid robot character that kind of runs around this world that quickly becomes evident is a some kind of Matrix-style digital world. Like reality within a reality. Essentially, something. yes. It looks real, but there are many clues that it's not real at all. Staticky glitches that interrupt the environment visually. A giant booming voice in the sky. Oh, oh yes, a giant. <laughs> sorry, I've totally forgot. Yeah, a giant booming <laughs> patriarchal voice in the sky. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you got your clues pretty. Just a few pretty, clues. Pretty well established. Ghosts of other androids running or robots running around and blue hued light mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that aren't real I think and the then, booming voice probably the booming voice probably the, the biggest you know, one and a series a little, of, a little frightening it, you know yeah totally uh, impassable areas that require pressure block puzzles and mm. laser diodes lining up yeah. to like unlock doors it would so, just be way too much manpower to put that together <laughs> in, real, in the real life you know <laughs> totally totally like, how do you even build a tetramino you know yeah exactly a real <laughs> tetramino uh, yeah, so essentially it's a kind of a matrix world, digital world that you are solving kind of puzzles in. Very garden. Referred evening. to the garden. Referred to literally as, as such. And it comes through reading the many logs uh, scattered around the world that humanity has succumbed to some kind of disease, some virus that has essentially made them extinct. And Humans you are dead. and they have created this world to kind of train robots to become more human, to become more intelligent and more and eventually capable of replacing them back in the real world. That's the broad strokes of it. Yeah. And I think before we get so you enjoyed it. You enjoyed playing the game. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just talk about my experience. I thought the puzzles were re really clever and fun. I really enjoy spatial puzzles. You know, I'm a big fan of Portal. I'm a big fan of... I think it's just Portal is the main game that this 
recalls in terms of pu the, pu the spatial puzzle solving. Sure. There's a lot of similarities in Portal 2 has a laser puzzle and mm -hmm. Talos also has a laser puzzle which, which works in a very similar way. And pressure blocks and mm -hmm. companion cubes or there was a companion cube reference in Talos Principle mm -hmm. uh, or many companion cube references in Talos Principle. There was an ongoing debate about whether to call it a cube or a, or whatever other shape they were calling it. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Like the many sided. Yeah. A lot of, lot of inside humor. A lot of video gaming humor throughout Talos Principle. Um, yeah and the essential premise of it, that it being a Garden of Eden, was was interesting to me because there's always this tension with the game designer of a game, essentially being the god of a world. When you create a game, you are that you are the god. Like designing the world as you see fit. Person playing it is just a pawn in your experiment. And this is a game that took that literal reality, the technical reality of the relationship between a game designer and a player, and then turned it into a more philosophical approach through the narrative and the way the game is played, introducing the idea of an actual god who is also the game designer. And I, I, I thought it was like a pretty fun way to explore that relationship. I had also derived the same meaning from the metafiction. It's kind of impossible not to. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> it was very, it was very blunt. The mm -hmm. the message, um, the booming voice of God and everything. I actually just had a pretty terrible time with the game. I, I know I told you that you know while you were still working your way through the game. I hope I didn't color your experience too much, but no, I really i I disliked playing the game so much. I actually lost sleep over it. And it's funny because, like, I, I while I was laying awake one night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and the first thought that occurred to me was this terrible sense of dread that the next day I would have to sit down and and continue to play this game. And I know that sounds really, really harsh. And I've luckily I finished the game a lot a, a while before you, so I've had time to really like sit sleep on, on it. it, sleep on it, yeah, <laughs> actually sleep and not lose sleep, yeah. And yeah, and I was working through the game really just bored to death. I do agree that the puzzles were incredibly well done. Like, the design of the puzzles was fantastic. Personally, because I didn't get stuck at any point, like, there were puzzles that definitely baffled me a little bit. Took an extra 15 or 20 minutes of my time to get through. But the actual, just the arc of difficulty throughout the game was really, really, really well done. So from a game design perspective, hats off to Crow Team. Fantastic puzzle design. Really, really thought you guys did a great job on that. But this sense of NUI, like, I just... The, at no point in the entire experience of playing the game did I have fun with like a capital or a lowercase f. Like basically, I totally agree. You know, within within thirty seconds of starting up the game, you're treated to like a loading screen, basically, or you see loading text of like your consciousness coming online. So you know, as a fan of metafiction, as a fan of video games, as a fan of like Matrix and all that sort of stuff that you know we've you and I have both you know grown up with and grown accustomed to. This is something that I immediately saw the move that the designer was making, the fictional move, and I was like, okay, I get it, cool. And then, boom, the thundering voice of God, and I was like, that's a, that's a bit much, mm -hmm. a little bit, a little bit heavy-handed, don't you think, game designer? He's like, I am Elohim, my child, my pet. Welcome to the garden. Any puzzles that you see are yours to solve, but don't go in the tower. That would be very oh, no, no. naughty. Like, blah blah blah. And I was just like, okay, all right. I get it. Let's see what else this game has to offer. Let's mm -hmm. do it. This is going to be this is going to be a great podcast. I'm going into it. So I begin to solve these puzzles and I begin to see those those terminals that are mm -hmm. littered throughout the game. And the terminals have this weird voice of their own. There's these multiple choice questions that are posing philosophical questions of me and asking me what I think about morality and uh, right of will and consciousness and I'm like, "Oh, okay, that's pretty cool." And very early on in the game there was actually an instance where the library personality, the quiz personality, mm -hmm. the serpent personality, as mm -hmm. it would later be, basically gave me like a personality quiz and like yep. read back like what it thought my personality was. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Like mm -hmm. this could be like that, um, what was that game that was just released for the PS3 and Vita? It was like Doki Doki Universe or something where the mm -hmm. whole game you play as this robot, weirdly enough, that's mm -hmm. going around trying to solve people's problems. Mm -hmm. And the game became this like meta format for essentially a series of personality quizzes. Mm -hmm. And it was just very interesting like, feedback loop of like the player learning about themselves learning about the environment whatever but in this case i just kept on seeing these instances of what to me felt like fourth wall breakage uh and in a theatrical sense like f there was a lot of it right there was the fourth wall breakage that happened in the game that established that the world outside and around of the garden that we're in 
was the real world that you and I, Yusef and Tavit, live in, right? Mm -hmm. There were Jeff Goldblum's performance in Jurassic Park was referenced. There was uh, the band Pink Floyd was like the favorite band of the lead of the project that created this simulation that we're all in. There were video game references. There were references to Serious Sam. There were, you know, references to Portal directly. So there was this element of like, okay, grounding us in the real world, like the game looking out of the screen at me, Tavit, and being like, hey, I'm happening in your world. So I was like, okay, cool. Interesting kind of fourth wall breakage. Um, Would you consider that entirely fourth wall breakage though? No, not really. Like there was a bit of... Well, there's plenty of fiction that takes place in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is like, the the thing that I kept on reaching for was the question of, well, is this fourth wall breakage? And Mm -hmm. I felt like the thing that was holding that movement back like the game designers the crow team game designers were like reaching out to me the player through all these references uh the check wasn't really cashed because like i wasn't addressed tavit wasn't addressed the player wasn't addressed we were only sort of glanced at and Mm -hmm. by like glanced at it was just being like hey there's a player somewhere controlling this robot Mm -hmm. guess what this is just this is in your world cool like do with that what you Mm -hmm. will right Mm -hmm. so there's this like sad spinning down of that world that we live in that Yusuf and Tavi live in and the only reason I keep saying Yusuf and Tavi is because there's this palpable disconnect between Mm -hmm. Yusuf and Tavi or whoever's playing the game and the actor the AI robot that they're controlling absolutely that AI robot is the silent protagonist but that AI robot are also the fingers that we see from a first-person perspective typing in the answers to the personality quizzes that the you know screen or whatever is mm-hmm. asking us. Mm-hmm. So in a weird sense, the screen or the game environment is reaching beyond the Android to this real world oh, where a player is playing it. But there's no, there's no real growth of that concept. There's no full execution of it. It got me really interested in the fourth wall. So I did a little bit of research, and the fourth wall is this like... It's attributed to the philosopher and critic Diderot, and uh, it's most often associated with the naturalist theater movement. And what's interesting is the naturalist theater movement, they're really concerned with how the environment, like the, the evolutionary environment, the Darwinian evolutionary environment, like earth and nature and setting affect human characters. So in naturalist plays, there's like, you know, how does the how do the situations that we come up in or exist in or the ways that we interact with each other, how do those affect the human condition? And that I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe this will help me talk about the Talos principle. Maybe there's some real relationship between those puzzles and those environments and the secrets contained within the puzzles and the secrets contained outside of the puzzles that will like help me figure out why this is supposed to be like one of the games of the year because like every critic loved this game. Like why uh, did I miss something? Mm-hmm. But then the naturalist theater movement had one major difference. There was it was a very secular theaterist uh, the, uh, secularist theater movement. There was no god. Classic theater like Greek theater, tragedy, comedy. There were gods and they sure. they actually motivated the behaviors of the The actors. deus ex. Right, the deus ex, exactly. And in this case, there are gods. Mm -hmm. And so it's this weird, half-naturalist, very, like, god-oriented creation myth for the little robot. And I, the player, felt incredibly disconnected from either of them. There was such a distance between myself and the robot, and the robot and the fiction. Like, the robot doesn't know anything about Pink Floyd. The robot doesn't know about, like, Sirius Sam or Portal. The robot just crawls out of a tomb in the beginning of the game, blinking into the harsh sunlight, and a booming voice of God tells it to go solve these puzzles. And I just was not interested at all in that fictional flow. So the thing that I thought could have been better explained in the game, and the more I think about it, the more I feel like was it was a theme that could have brought this together better, was the other robots playing the game. Sure. And the idea that you're not the first one. You're just one of many revolutions. And of the the several endings in the game, one is that you can just go save your memory back into the game so that it helps another robot later on evolve, evolve and get more human. So when you think about it, the relationship between the player and the robot in the game is that the memories of previous robots probably amalgamated could be described as a more human memory. And then if other players say play the game because it does nod to other players like other friends like people on your friends list and steam do sometimes show up in the game yeah and can mark stuff on the wall i left some messages for you by the way i don't know if you got them i never got them i don't know what happened i was looking for you i know man i was looking for I you just too kept seeing like my other friend and i was like i don't care about you um yeah so like the idea that a lot of players are playing this and then the memories keep going back and being saved into the game can have it be so that robot could remember pink floyd potentially sure. like a robot could wake up and if their collective human 
played influence in the game, like maybe that robot has memories that make it human. What they missed was kind of hinting at that. Sure. Because the robot is such a silent protagonist. Yeah. Like the, having that kind of middle manager or kind of midway point between the player and the game illustrate in some ways how that affects the robot you're playing would have sold my theory a little bit better. Sure. But I think that in terms of a way to explain that kind of fourth wall disconnect, it kind of makes sense that you could think of the the robot as an amalgamation of, of everyone who has played the game already. Right. Because they're all playing the experiment through the robot. Exactly. One thing I thought was interesting was that personality test. For one thing, the library computer in the game is testing your robot character to prove that they are a human because only a human should be able to access the library for some reason. Right. And is the same kind of it's referring to the same kind of test that happens online where you have to enter in random letters and numbers sure, to yeah. prove that you not are a not a bot. bot. Yeah. So it's a really clever way of twisting that prove you're a human puzzle online into like a game where you are playing as a robot. <laughs> Right. And the robot is, for some reason, convinced that they are a human. So why is the robot convinced they're a human? Well, again, I think it's because the game designer's crow team mm -hmm. understood that a human would be controlling the robot. Mm -hmm. But that breaks the fiction of the in-game game designers. Like, because if I get this straight, you mm -hmm. know, Norwegian Blue, this virus is like wiped mm -hmm. out, they're wiping out the human race. So a game design company, mm -hmm. which is in the fiction of the game, mm -hmm. decides to do this project called the Talos Principle, where they're going to create an artificial intelligence environment that's populated by this android robot that is a self-conscious thing, that is like yeah. a robot that wakes up in a simulation. It's going to submit itself to, you know, it's going to go through these puzzles and then maybe submit a snapshot of its experience or intelligence back into the machine and then helps the next iteration solve it. I mean, there was even a, a very early Easter egg where you can break down a wall and you go to an island where the game development team is mm -hmm. hanging out. They're mm -hmm. all snapshots of Crow Team mm -hmm. staff members mm -hmm. on little television sets, like basically attached to the shoulders of the type of robot that you're controlling. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there are these like little robot things that are controlling... Essentially, again, fourth wall breakage. Mm -hmm. The in-game development studio is peopled by the Crow team developers. But that assumption, again, that this robot, this AI that's literally just solved like laser and block and tetrimino puzzles mm -hmm. over and over again would somehow gain consciousness and then know Pink Floyd, know the human experience, have any sort of connection or care about what the heck is going on. You know, one of the other endings is that you just get to, like, become one of the, like, hint guardians. Like, mm -hmm. if you solve all the puzzles in the game and all the secret puzzles of the game and all the secrets of the secret puzzles of the game, you're then allowed a third ending. There's, like, the one ending of Reboot from the beginning, the second ending, which we can talk about in a little bit, the transcendence idea, mm -hmm. and the third ending, which is, like, okay, you've solved the puzzles, you really just like solving puzzles, why don't you go be a helper bot? Mm -hmm. So, like, this self-sustaining, weird, circuitous system of, like, being born into the garden, solving puzzles, whatever... It assumes that there's a human behind it because, again, it's a video game. We're playing it to have but fun. But do you think that they put a like? Do you think that potentially the members of the team who created that simulation put their consciousness into these AIs? Perhaps, and I think it's not spelled out. It's not specifically spelled out. like that. It's not spelled out. Yeah. But then there's these moments where you discover the Easter eggs in the game, mm -hmm. and they're given a lot of gravitas. Like there's you know eerie background music. There's mm -hmm. like burbling glitches all around it it's like the moments where i think we're being told as a player that these are the places where the simulation is breaking down mm -hmm. where the god or controlling ai the elohim ai mm -hmm. and the librarian assistant a milton ai are like yeah. in the most conflict so the soul or intention of the game designers whether in the fiction or in the real world either crow team or whatever the fictional company was mm -hmm. that created the talus principle in game their, their intention or their love or their consciousness or their likes and dislikes those are the glitches or the burbles in my interpretation mm -hmm. or whatever the easter eggs no, that punch through the code mm -hmm. um but even in those moments where you discover them those things there's that you discover them you don't get anything like you may you might get an in-game achievement mm -hmm. but that achievement unlocks in steam that achievement doesn't unlock in the Talos Principle simulation. Mm -hmm. And so again, there's this dissonance between the player playing a video game, which is called the Talos Principle, yeah. and they're like in this metafiction. I think there's a bit of distance between those agents or those actors, and that's why that's where I lost yeah. no, any I sense of interest in, in or, or it just wasn't compelling. The, nar the narrative was kind of pushing you out, which yeah. I think makes sense since you latched onto the fourth wall, which I feel like I didn't as much. Sure. When I was playing it, it didn't... I guess it just rolled off of me, like the the, the references to modern 
life, I kind of just assumed that it was a, just a way to establish the fact that this was our future, sure. essentially, that humanity was going to eventually get destroyed and then this was happening in, in another situation and i guess the thing would be a good way to bring on the ending talk yeah the idea of of the transcendence mm -hmm. the transcendence ending is basically direct corollary to the tree of life where there's a giant tower stuck in the middle of the game there are three worlds that you explore that are full of puzzles and those are the ones that are the prescripted worlds that you're supposed to explore as the robot in the simulation and then there's a tree, which the voice in the sky tells you not to go to. It's not a tree, it's a tower, but it's a tree. Yeah, totally. The tower is a tree. Absolutely. That's a tower. <laughs> a tree's a tower, man. <laughs> it looks like a tree. Yeah. You climb it up, you climb to the top, because of course you're going to, because it's classic reverse psychology mm -hmm. of a video game where it gives you something that you're not supposed to explore, and then of course you're going to want to explore it. So you you can climb it, and once you solve all the puzzles, you get to a top area that appears to be falling apart because it's at this like rift between the worlds or the edge of the simulation where things aren't as well built or are Later. yeah more glitchy and you can once you solve the last few puzzles there and you are aided by the uh, resident ai that have seemed to have stayed or not gone back into the simulation that have not been able to yep. escape the simulation that are trying to the ai in the simulation now decides that you are ready to inhabit a robot body in the human world in the, the real in the real world, world quote unquote yeah as far as we can tell yeah and you wake up and in, or you see you the camera changes there's the first time you s just see your character from a third person perspective the camera is just a cinematic camera that then follows your robot as it wakes up and leaves the laboratory and goes into and walks outside and it's kind of this wasteland giant human city covered in moss dilapidated Vegetation, you yeah. know it's a it's a clearly humanity has gone away and there's nothing left but vegetation and waste and and some yeah, of the logs refer to animals not being affected by norwegian which makes like there was like sense. this yeah. this banner about like make sure to leave your doors and windows open so oh, yeah. pets can use them as shelter or whatever yeah so, so animals are still the world has dead. continued yeah just but humans humanity. have all died out yeah and so that that is the i think what my one might consider the canon ending of the game mm -hmm. because everything the way the in every way that the story of the game sets it up is that you are going to go into that tower uh, because there is, I feel like, no player in video game history that would refuse to explore this bright red door that says don't go in this door. Right. Which actually kind of Stanley Parable plays off that a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. So we can, we can talk about that. I mean, look, it's... But it's, it's, judging from that ending, it, it's a corollary, it's analogous to the Garden of Eden. But I do think it comes at it from like kind of a atheistic perspective because hmm. it's... It's a religion that is to follow that god means that you would always keep downloading yourself back into simulation and starting again sure which is like the the root of the faithful and to evolve and to grow you have to actually uh, refuse the direction of that god and you have to be independent and you have to leave the simulation which seems to be what the designers of the simulation had intended for when like, a robot eventually gets independent enough of that god voice then he becomes good enough to be a human exactly and in my playthrough actually when i did the transcendence ending i remember a section of the voice of god or elohim or whatever was at first incredibly desperately trying to stop me from mm -hmm. continuing up the tower mm -hmm. uh, and then as i ascended through the clouds to the golden pearly gates mm -hmm. which look like uh, christian heaven mm -hmm. like western abrahamian heaven i opened the gates and then the, the tone of that god changed very much and was like i was designed to lead you here mm -hmm. and i was designed to like forbid you of this and you know honestly i was scared i was scared of your potential i was scared of the simulation ending but you've mm. done it my child you're you're great congratulations yeah. something to that effect i can't remember the exact monologue it makes sense i would be scared because yeah. that would mean the it end of the, the simulation. end of the thing but the thing is I, I if we take that conceit one step further and simply allow all of the fiction that the game has set up to be true like let's just say everything that that crow team designed in this game Let's just let it exist in its own hermetic seal of the game environment. I don't think it's actually atheistic. I think it's like I think it's actually an argument for th like theistic evolution. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not creationism strictly, like mm -hmm. in the sort of creationist museum in America that exists, or like dinosaurs were like hanging out with like Adam and Eve or yeah. whatever. Okay. I think it's I think it's actually a really strong argument for theistic evolution, which says that evolution exists, but it was put into motion by a creative force. Simply mm -hmm. going back to what you said earlier, where like, this is a video game. Mm -hmm. This is an environment that is, it's very, very difficult to actually have a meaningful philosophical debate about creation, consciousness, predisposition, or even freedom of choice, like mm -hmm. agency. We can't fully have 
a real balanced argument about these concepts or in an environment that was absolutely intelligently designed. Mm -hmm. Like the constraints of the, of the debate are that it happens within the parentheses of a game or an experience designed by people to have boundaries mm -hmm. to the debate. Mm -hmm. And it happens every time you wander too far off off a puzzle or off of a meta map. Mm -hmm. You hear this weird whispering, speaking in tongue, voice of God thing, and you see more and more glitches, and then all of a sudden you go far enough, the simulation stops for a second, you get a rewind sound, like a reel-to-reel -reel tape rewind sound, and your body is pulled back to the last possible place that you could go before you wander too mm -hmm. far. And so in that case, the God voice was designed to be rebelled against. And Absolutely. that was the condition that would finally allow the playthrough that you're on in the game to be loaded into a corporeal version, an android real robotic version of itself in the really real world where those designers are all dead but certainly existed. And the evidence of it is in the server room that you wake up in, in the, you know, in the fact that like some real woman whose audio logs you've been listening to really did program you, really mm -hmm. did create you. So I don't think it's atheistic or even agnostic. I think it's, it's a theistically grounded theory of evolution. And I consider myself an atheist. Um, and I just, it's one of the things that most turned me off because I'm, I'm sitting there trying to wrap my brain around the, the questions that it's asking me about myself and about free will. And I'm like, you can't. It's, it's impossible because in this specific puzzle game, it's impossible to really veer off the path. Certainly I can solve the puzzles in, in a limited uh, choice of whatever order I want. At a certain point, the game does allow you to like skip rooms or move around. or I can choose to walk through those pearly gates, but like you said, if I'm told that there's a tower I'm not yeah, supposed to go fun. in, the designers know I'm going to want to go in it. You know, I know I want to go in it, and I'm going to go in it. And when I got in there, it wasn't like some groundbreaking new mechanic that makes me think about the, the the laser and pressure plate puzzles in a different way. It was just more of those puzzles. And they weren't yeah. designed in any different way. They no. were just more of them. And I think to that point, it, I feel like it would be disingenuous of a video game to pretend that there could be a free bowl section, you know? I think one way that they could have at least given the debate about intelligent design more credence, you know, is if they put puzzles in there that it couldn't be solved. What if they just were like, this is a mistake, mm -hmm. this was a bug, mm -hmm. this was a badly designed puzzle. At least, I mean, that still is within the confines, again, of intelligent design of a game designer, but at least it would have given us something to do that would have baffled us or, or given us a space where we're like, well, why would why would the Elohim or why would the game designers in the fiction like make a puzzle that can't even be solved? Mm -hmm. And then I'm sure there would have been forums like on Steam debating on how that shit is solved and like mm -hmm. how they, you know, it would have, I think it would have been more interesting mm -hmm. with that. You're right. There's no way to make a game that is so procedurally generated that it will allow the possibility or, or tessellation mm -hmm. of reality that the reality we now live in could possibly hold for us. There's no game that mutates. So it's impossible to non-intelligently design a game. But it would have been interesting if they tried. Yeah. If they made some puzzle that couldn't be solved. If, if at a certain point the game like faked a crash, like a Hideo Kojima moment, where like you're just mm -hmm. tossed out of it. You do something so wrong by the God standards, and you know they just quit the game on you. And it looks mm -hmm. they make it look like a crash. And I'd be, I'd, be like, I'd be like, that's pretty cool. But none of that happened. Yeah, yeah. There were there were glitches. That, did you go that? Did you find that section where you can fall through the floor and then you yeah. hear the god talking to itself? Yeah, the exactly. AI is like, this AI is very crazy. Yes, exactly. And that that yeah. kind of weird speaking tongue tongues mm -hmm. thing is again a, very much an artifact of I think like Western Abrahamian you know religion. But that's why I think that it appears that the the characters who are the game designers in the game who are who, who are designing the simulation want your character, want your robot to be an independent, free-thinking organism. Sure. I mean, yes, whether or not that is tied into intelligent evolution or intelligent design, like, yeah, that could potentially be an argument that I, I could see the, totally see the merits of, but I do think that the hints that they drop as designers of the game are like, you should be, you shouldn't believe in God, because if you believe in God, then you're going to be stuck here forever, you never get <laughs> sure. it out. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think, you know what, you're, I'll give it that. Like, I, mm -hmm. I will say this, like, it's a really difficult subject to explore. And, mm -hmm. and actually, it's, it's a very well-tread trope in video games. Absolutely, the the yeah. idea of like exploring free will um, and exploring player agency from within the confines of a, of a very tightly designed experience. Like, you know, uh, No More Heroes, or to a certain extent, the entire body of work of Suda51 mm -hmm. deals with that question. Mm -hmm. The Bioshock series, right? And then the Stanley Parable, where, you know, there's this 
you're basically playing the same stretch of corridor, an office space, over and over again, and there's this omniscient narrator can perfectly react to and sometimes proact to your actions mm-hmm. uh, and tells the story of you while you're doing it. Really wonderful game, Stanley Parable, Absolutely, if you haven't yeah. played it. Um, basically, the thing, the, the one thing that I think most importantly Stanley Parable and Portal pull off, and actually the work of Suda51, is humor and absurdity. Mm-hmm. And I get that in the Talos Principle, it's the end of the human's dominance of the world, and it's the spinning down of humanity. So it's not a happy time, right? And like the the logs get more and more depressed as they get as they go on, and mm-hmm. people are getting sick, and family members are dying, and everybody's like considering the sort of the last existential questions that they'll ever have in their lives. But honestly, there's so much space even in that darkness for humor. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's actually so much need for humor in those moments. Just to, to compare it to some other great work of you know science fiction or metafiction, like uh, Douglas Adams, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that giant planet-sized computer that is built to answer the most important question of everything, of all time and space and all. And it fi- like the travelers finally make it there and they ask the question of what's the, most, what's the answer to the, the most important question of all. And the machine's like, after careful consideration, the answer is 42. And like, boom, right there. Like, mm-hmm. that's absurdity. That is yeah. a comedic absurdity. And that is a tonality that, of course, Douglas Adams owns. Mm-hmm. Like, he just owns that. Mm-hmm. But it's something that Portal gets right. You know, it's something that Stanley Parable is built around. Mm-hmm. And it's this this idea that whether or not there's an, uh, an intelligent designer, whether or not there's been a purpose to enjoying Pink Floyd or setting up this weird, like, AI environment or the history of humanity being preserved with choice pull quotes from famous philosophers... All of that is, these are all parts of the human experience, but one part of the human experience that was so sorely missed by me in my playthrough of Tal's Principle was humor and absurdity. Do you think that could just be a subjective response to the game? I mean, obviously it is. Oh, this is, yeah. Welcome back to the hour, right? Like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I I just, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if... Do you think that's like the root of why you're so bored with the game? Yeah. I think this is, this says more about me than about the quality of the Talos Principle. Again, Talos Principle. If you like puzzle games, this is a great puzzle game. Great puzzle design. But yes, I think that the things that really subjectively turned me off were the patriarchal god voice Mm -hmm. and the relationship between that god voice and my distance from the fiction that mixed with the complete lack of humor and tonally quiet nature of the game Mm -hmm. in portal for example around the like 15th or 16th test chamber Mm -hmm. in portal one i did start to get that same sense of boredom and repetition and nui because it's like Mm -hmm. You've solved these puzzles, and like they're going to get harder. Great, and mm-hmm. they're well designed. Great, mm-hmm. but the puzzle isn't enough to keep you going. It really isn't, and that could say more about my playstyle and what I look for in a game. Certainly, but unlike mm-hmm. Talos Principle, Portal eventually was like, "Hey, check out what's behind this thing." You're not like leaving the test chamber as mm-hmm. an Easter egg and then going back into the test chamber and mm-hmm. completing the test chambers in a row. You veer off the path, and there's a reason for it, yeah. and that's where the game gets to explore what happens when you go off the rails of Mm. a designed experience. And certainly that was designed as well, but it was so well-voiced and so well-written and so well-designed that Mm -hmm. I felt like I was liberating myself from the factory of reality at that point Mm -hmm. in Portal. And in Talos Principle, you have these, like, deep philosophical debates, man, about, like, you know, the nature of it all, and it just didn't connect with it. Like I said, I... I lost sleep one night because I was like, oh my God, do I have to wake up tomorrow? And do I have to put another hour or two into solving more of these goddamn blocks? I mean, pun intended, (laughs) goddamned (laughs) block puzzles, you know? No, dude, they're God-blessed. God-blessed. Yes, the Lord blessed you with lasers. It's interesting because I also can't really play a puzzle game that doesn't have a narrative. Like, for example, I tried to play Antichamber. Oh, yeah. um, Which was... I actually enjoyed Antichamber a lot. Yeah, it's a really interesting game. I couldn't finish it, though, because I was like, I've got enough puzzles. True. At some point, halfway through the game, I kind of had to put it down because I just was very bored I, I, and I hit a few too many blocks sure. where I just didn't want to keep playing and then uh, Cube was another kind of oh, Portal-esque yeah, game call. that call. I tried it was very Portal derivative and it was also very well designed but again no story and it just couldn't keep me and I think for Talos while there was no humor and whether or not it's a good thing is obviously subjective but just being able to kind of go through the game take notes look at the themes and while many themes are obvious it was just fun seeing how they explored the themes sure uh, and what, yeah, of course, is like the ivory towerist, nerdiest, like kind of <laughs> philosophical musings going on in the game. Like, 
everything that Pro Team had been like storing up inside. <laughs> I know this is what they've been like, waiting to make. Not being able to get serious and academic and like just completely lose their audience. Like, Nobody took them seriously. Going, serious yeah, exactly. Sam. They're, they're we're smart. Like guys. no, we are serious. Those we who really were trying are. to say was serious, <laughs> Sam, but you wouldn't listen to us. We had. What was it? Because the screaming guy holding a bomb with no head. <laughs> yeah, the headless yeah. screamer dude. No, it's. But I think you know, I I've been hard on the game. You know, I've been really tough on the game. But I do have to say, like going back to the core of it, as a game goes, if you enjoy puzzle games, it's a beautiful like visually, it's it's stunning. Really. Like it's interesting. I I wonder if like it had just been the puzzles and not had any of the story, if you'd have just enjoyed it. I would have enjoyed that. it a lot more actually. Because then that would be more like antechamber. Yeah, which then I would have, have enjoyed like, it a lot more. kind of you know one might say the pretensions of a more philosophically deep game yeah and also it's interesting because we brought up the ending of the game mm -hmm. i kind of weirdly feel like crow team has painted themselves in a corner because mm -hmm. like you have the one of the true endings right is like you transcend and you're like downloaded into a real corporeal body in the world after humans yo the humans did not in their last you know five years of living turn their cities into giant laser gun and block puzzles like what is this little robot going to do now, now that he or she or it is alive right like mm -hmm. In the documentary about the making of Talos Principle, Crow Team was like, we're launching a new franchise with the Talos Principle. So it's mm -hmm. like, it sold well, yeah. it reviewed really, really well, and now what are we going to do? Because now this little robot guy is, what is it, going to be like a sim life game next? Like, they're going to explore like a different genre of gameplay altogether, and well, now you got to repopulate? It's really cheap have the real world not be the real world. Oh man, like... if they do that, if it's a dream, if it's <laughs> like a bridge yeah. over the river choir or whatever, I'm just going to cry. Yeah, the, or no, yeah. an occurrence at Otter Creek, well, Otter Creek Bridge. Safe, Suffice it to say, you probably won't be getting their sequel, regardless. <laughs> no, I will not be playing the sequel to the Talos Principle. Although maybe the amount of torture that I experienced from playing it will force me Stockholm Syndrome style like crawl mas back for more. Masochistically. Yeah. Um, Would you recommend the game? Yeah, especially if you like spatial puzzle games, because I think yeah. like something special about like that portal basically unlocked, which was the idea of using the first person perspective as a as a way to solve a puzzle, and just shows how interesting that could be, especially when you play that game and there's these the, the trauma nodes have little puzzles attached to them. Mm -hmm. To open doors, you have to kind of like stack them all together so they all fit in the box, and that's a linear puzzle. And just like the contrast of like kind of solving a linear puzzle, and that was definitely like the least interesting puzzles for me to work on. Sure, they kind of got in a cool like vi a groove with them. Sometimes you're like click 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 like I feel like a machine now. Yeah, it breaks it breaks um, up the monotony. Of yeah, the style of but having contrast that with the spatial puzzles, which are just because of the three dimensions, that much more complex. It's just like always a fun medium to to play around in and to like get to experience as a player using first person as not just a vehicle for for shooting shooting and yeah, yeah. and i too for, like if i have friends who are super like puzzle heads and love puzzle mm -hmm. games that are like spatial and 3d like i absolutely would recommend the game um and that stands completely apart from my just dislike of mm -hmm. the experience of playing and game. if you like kind of pothead pothead philosophy <laughs> yeah, uh, dude. i mean there's some stuff i had forgotten to mention that with the librarian robot assistant who was testing you to be to see whether you're a human First of all, it was obviously funny because the way that it would then contradict you and then challenge you on whether or not you had passed the test was in listing contradictions in what you had responded with, yep. which is a naturally computer uh, logical way to, to to study an answer, but by its very nature would be exposing you as a human because only a human would be contradicting their own logic. Sure. And yeah. like they would ask you later in the game, let's go back to these uh, questions I asked you uh, earlier. And then yeah. you'd be like, I don't remember what I said. You know, I said some <laughs> shit about freedom. And <laughs> humans are, being, you should be a good person. <laughs> and then like the computer is like, what? What do you mean you should be a good person? What does yeah. that even mean? Like, let's logically break that down. And, and for me, I, I think that's probably why I like the game more than you because that's what I latched onto more than the fourth sure. wall philosophical discussion because I was like, okay, let's talk about, you know, what makes this robot, like, worthy of being a human? Like, sure. what, like, how does this fit into the bounds of the test of the experiment? Right, and, and, and I know. think that's where I got stuck too because mm -hmm. it's funny because, like, I saw it in terms of fourth wall breakage, but to clarify it, I, I think it goes back to that, that idea that the there players were, playing it. yeah, the player's playing it and that there's no way to not play the game. Mm -hmm. Like, within the game. I got stuck being constantly reminded of intelligent yeah. design while being asked what it what it means to be human and freedom and all this stuff that just could not even be fairly debated mm -hmm. within the confines of the simulation. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's just about that, whether or not that you can look past what you ex what you expect from the game after a certain amount of introduction. Yeah. Especially like the idea of, of independence, because... If the game the game is certainly toying with the idea, and I agree that in some ways it toying with the idea is destructive to its own narrative, right? Because it's very tongue in cheek. 
you know, like the idea that, or the, the question of the tower and whether or not you should climb it, that's a foregone conclusion. It's, the game is like, <laughs> you don't want to climb the tower, right? Of course you want to climb the tower, go ahead. And I don't think it's asking the question of whether you're independent, like, you know, whether you have free will, because even though it asks it in the game, it asks it in a tongue-in-cheek tongue-in-cheek manner mm -hmm. like the librarian the librarian computer computer is asking that sure and then the uh and then the guy's like no no shut it down shut, shut it down, down. purge the system yeah like shut up library. look at i can make the yeah. voice go away <laughs> might be interesting for us yeah. to just look on steam and be like how many players mm -hmm. have only unlocked the achievement for the follow god ending that yeah. like only do the reincarnation one and don't climb the tower and don't defy the god like it'd be interesting you know it'd just be interesting to see yeah, like it kind of you and through. i are both assuming that like everyone's going to climb the tower it'd be it'd be just an interesting to, to meet a player who's like oh man no the game totally ends and like you just do it again it's awesome yeah, like, yeah it's great, it's it's great. and then like god's like totally everything. on our side like it's great Actually, like, yeah. Did yeah. you did you try to climb the tower before you solved all the puzzles in the game? I checked it out. You know, I kind of like went up to the first floor and was like, "What's up? What's going on over here?" Oh, puzzles. Yeah. Okay. And then I was like, "Okay, some more puzzles." Maybe that also contributed to my woe because mm -hmm. I went around solving all the main puzzles of mm -hmm. the three areas mm -hmm. before I even set foot in the tower. So by the time, and this is you know, by the time I had already been sort of bored to aggravation of the main mechanic and progression of the game. I then like went into the tower being like, this is it. This is finally going to like break the formula. Yeah. I'm going to like see the, oh, yeah. the totally different gameplay yeah. now. Here comes like the like the big reveal of more of the same puzzles. <laughs> oh, oh jeez. Like here we are again. Okay, so now I have to solve now I have to solve these puzzles and the only difference is that the fiction in the game is telling me that these puzzles are forbidden. Oh man, oh man. No, but, don't solve no, these do it. puzzles. Oh, I can't see what's happening. <laughs> scanning, oh, scanning. Where are you? And I'm like, this doesn't make the puzzle different. I think that was their intention. Yes, I think I so. Mean, it's like the whole tongue and cheek thing. It's like I feel like that is probably what rubbed you the wrong way. I can see that being a frustration because a lot of times like you'll have games that try and be tongue in cheek and coy and make a humorous observation about how games do stupid things sure like i know like there's like far cry 3 blood dragon oh yeah which was like tutorials are dumb and then they make you do tutorial sure and like a lot of people were like why are you again then making me to do a tutorial even though you just told me that it was dumb right that's not transgressive and that's not thoughtful like it's kind of just like you've made the first step of admitting it yeah. that this is like a construct like that's why i still think like you know the examples you you mentioned suda and stanley parable make a note about the uh, artificiality of a game with with actually stretching the boundaries of what can be defined as a game yeah. in, in some ways if you want that from Telus, it didn't do that no know? it did not there, like I said earlier when I was talking about fourth wall it's like there were so many references that uh, reached out to me Tavit sitting on the outside of the screen playing mm -hmm. the game from the dreaming of electric sheep dream sequence mm -hmm. for the Philip K. Dick and Blade Runner reference Pink Floyd room with the prism and the rainbow the big totem sculpture rock thing from the swapper the lead writer mm -hmm. the swapper also wrote the talus principle mm -hmm. and there's like a big hidden chamber underneath mm -hmm. the waterfall mm -hmm. where you find one of like the secret whispering stones or whatever and like all of that stuff reaches out to Tavit because Tavit plays games and Tavit knows Philip K. Dick and Tavit grew up listening to pink floyd but android consciousness would only have known about it from the text logs that reference the vagaries of a band called pink floyd mm -hmm. and in no way would possibly know about the prism symbol or whatever mm -hmm. that's relying upon the knowledge of the player outside the screen and what am i supposed to be i guess i am the soul of the robot but i am never connected to the robot i choose answers for it i control its movements i solve puzzles by it and all the while, the robot does not evolve or have any sort of cathartic moment whatsoever. Those moments, are, they're, they're happening to me. But mm -hmm. this silent protagonist betrays any progression or evolution that I am having outside of the screen by simply continuing to solve puzzles and yeah. never breaking the formula. Because even the, even the journey of breaking through the tower and breaking the will of the in-game god has been preordained. Mm -hmm. And that's what betrayed me. Because you wanted that experience of breaking the game yeah you wanted to break the game in metal gear solid uh two mm -hmm. uh when you're controlling raiden and he goes through the torture sequence and comes out of it and he's butt naked mm -hmm. and the rules of the game changed around mm -hmm. it because he was naked and he was holding his junk because he knew there was a player watching him on screen mm -hmm. raiden could not do combat anymore i was just mm -hmm. running away so my controls were restricted and changed so the comms channel that i had trusted as my mission indicator was now 
bold face laughing at me and scaring me, mm-hmm. like laughing at me and like telling me I was doing the doing wrong and turning into a skeleton face. Mm-hmm. I was given a sword, a weapon that was never used in any other part of the game whatsoever, and told to start slashing enemies mm-hmm. with it. And I was like, well, this is blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. This is like totally blowing my mind. Yeah, I'm in this game engine that's like dying. It's yeah. tearing itself apart. And here, in Talos Principle, even as the game environment was visually tearing itself apart, right. it's always it was held together. exactly yeah. the same puzzle mechanic, yeah. and exactly the same conceit, and exactly mm. the same voice of God. And it was like, I was programmed to do this, and mm-hmm. then the game's over, and yeah. you're in the real world. I mean, essentially, when I, I walked away from it being like, okay, I played the Garden of Eden, the video game. Um, <laughs> nice, yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> That was okay. I was like, okay. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Was, I was like, that was that was fun. I played. If this I've game got that puzzly kind of, friends, I would recommend. Yeah, it. I yeah. played with philosophy a little bit. You know, had had some like interesting themes that it definitely like gave a lot of attention to, and it wasn't. It didn't just throw it in there just for you know. Like it, they did their research on the philosophy, so like that added element was was good. And I, so yeah, like I turned. I came away from it being like, yes, this wasn't a mind blowing game, but I thought they did pretty well with with what they what they had set out to do. Yeah. So I think that's that's all the time we have for today. Totally. <laughs> and we should shout out. We have awesome theme music, which you may have heard in the beginning. Yeah. My buddy uh, Brian Miller also goes by Old School Brian. And I think you can find him by that moniker on Twitter. And yeah, he I, we had him uh, help 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 us out with music, and we really appreciate it. And did Thank it. you so much, Brian. You guys should check his stuff out, and we'll uh, we'll link to his work or his web website as well and his twitter handle uh yeah. in the thingy thing the in the description yeah so thank you so much for listening y'all and we'll uh we'll be back soon with uh, absolutely episode three